As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Dealing with mess can feel like an impossible task. It just keeps coming back. Well, today we're brought to you by the organization experts, IKEA. IKEA knows we all have those areas in our homes consumed by mess, whether it be that chair that collects all your clothes or the monstrous pile under your bed. That's why IKEA makes affordable wardrobe organizers, underbed storage, and other solutions to help you easily take back that chair and conquer the mess monster under your bed. Visit IKEA to explore more. You can't afford mess, so IKEA makes storage affordable. Scared to death is explicit in every way. Please take care while listening. Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no hollow, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelles. You're Lindsay and I'm Dan. Whoa. Nailed it. Wow, you're good. <laughs> Just one very quick announcement, and then we are off and running with the stories today. Uh, for merch, excited to announce that one of our very first Scared to Death designs is back in the store, reintroducing the original Dybbuk design. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, that classic children's book style illustration of uh, you and me right here at this desk fighting off an evil spirit that somehow escaped from our sealed Dybbuk box that we've had here since episode one. I know people have like offered to take it. And at this point, I just don't even feel good about letting it go. <laughs> I don't remember where it came from. Like... Yeah, no. hopefully Amazon, but probably not. Uh, <laughs> the new collection includes a standard tee, premium comfort colors tee, baseball tee. Those are my favorite. Comfort colors are the most like... Yeah, you like that fit. I do, because it's kind of like a stiffer shirt and it's mm -hmm. a little bit straighter, but the more you wash it and break it down, you can wash it with something from Home Depot called TSP. This is a <laughs> secret insider trick for distressing your clothes, but it breaks down so soft and mushy and it hangs just right. Nice. Sorry. Uh, also an insula insulated tumble. I'm excited to have this classic back in the store for all the new creeps and peepers who have joined the last few years. You can head to badmagicmerch.com, check it out. Also, quick note from Logan, finally been told by our supplier that 4X and 5X sizes will be available soon in the store if they're not when this episode releases already in the store. And that's it. Yay, so exciting. Uh, do you want to give us any clues about your story today? No, I'm not allowed anymore, remember? <laughs> you can do whatever you want. I'm, I'm going to say um, the title of the story. Maybe that's what I should do. Hmm? The name of the story. Yeah. It's Ghosts in the Graveyard. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. I like that stuff. It gives us a little tiny peek. Thanks. I, I did appreciate the fan feedback. Like, just as a reminder, you know, like, we're only human and we're always doing the best that we can. But we did get some great emails yeah. that were like, hey, Lindsay's previews are just not adding and they're subtracting and so then we got a lot of great feedback about like oh it's been so much better we love the chitter chatter at the end as opposed to trying yeah. to like 
discuss it and debate it ahead of time. So thanks for the great feedback and thanks for making it constructive criticism as opposed to just being like cruel and rude. Yeah. It was a really lovely uh, interaction with a lot of our fans. So thank you. Great. Yeah, we want to make this uh, show as good as we can. Of course we do. So I'm back to two stories, a short one and a longer one. My first longer story is about a strange inheritance. A man has gifted something uh, very unusual with strange instructions attached. That's all I'm going to say about that one. My second story about an island down in the Caribbean, the supposedly haunted former site of a leper colony, Shakashikari Island. And I'll go over a bit of the small island's history and then some paranormal claims. Okay. You cozied up and ready to begin? Um, I want to show my socks off. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I have to, um, I do have on shorts. You guys, it's finally gotten warm out. So I got to do a little, look at these Elm Street socks. Nice. I feel like they're um, a little bit Pretty more cool. subtle if mm -hmm. you want to be like a horror lover without having, I don't know, demons and skulls and stuff. Yeah. So thanks. I wrote a note on the back of them that said KC. So they're either from somebody named KC or Kansas City. Kansas City. So one way or the other. Thank you. Okay. No setup for this one. Just going to jump right in. Okay. Let's roll. Time now for the tale of the man in the basement. It was a late summer afternoon a few years ago when my cell phone rang. A call from an area code I didn't recognize. 631. Usually in a situation like that, I won't answer. For whatever reason, this time I did. Arturo something, Melina, Morales, doesn't matter. An attorney in charge of dispersing the assets left in the will of my uncle, Javier Romero, was calling me to notify me of my inheritance. I was shocked. I didn't even know that he had died until the lawyer told me I was in his will. We weren't close. There was no bad blood between us, not at all. He was just a bit of a recluse. Quite a bit, actually. My dad, his brother, said he'd always been a loner. Even when we were kids, he loved books more than people, I remember him saying. He did visit my father and our family a few times, maybe just twice, when I was growing up in Phoenix. I always, I've, always been a big, I've always been a book person, too. I liked him. I remember him and having a, him and I having a long conversation once about what I was reading and what my favorite books were. My brother and sisters found him stranger than I did, and he didn't really engage with them much. Other than being friendly with them outside of a few pleasant conversations, I never had any other interactions. We didn't write, talk on the phone, nothing. When I got that phone call, I was surprised. I hadn't even seen him in over 30 years. And yet, he had left me an entire house in Nogales, Mexico. And also, a strange request. Before claiming it, I had to drive down there to the law office of the man I was speaking with and be handed a sealed letter. I had to open and read it in front of the lawyer. Only then would I be given the keys and the deed to the house. The lawyer laughed when he told me all this. He said he'd been part of some odd requests over the years, but this was a new one. I asked him if he knew my uncle, and he said he did not. My uncle hired him for the will, they went over the details, and that was it. Arturo told me that the drive would be worth my while. The house itself was not in good condition, but due to when the property was purchased, it was an old property built on a large double lot, almost a triple lot, and in a decent neighborhood, so he thought I could get easily around 300000 U.S. for it. I was blown away. That's more than I make in three years. I couldn't believe my luck. The drive would be well worth it. I would give, it would give me enough money to completely catch up and more on all the retirement planning my new financial advisor said I was so behind on, and there would be plenty of fun money left over. If I skipped rush hour, I could be down there in about three hours. I could be back in my bed the same night. So I told the lawyer I could take off the next Friday and be to his office right after he got back from lunch, 
and that's exactly what I did. It's been a few years since I'd seen uh, been across the border. Most of my family comes from around Hermosillo, about three hours further south. So I'd been through Nogales a bunch of times, but mostly when I was still a kid. Never thought much about it. Touristy little border city. Pretty beat up looking, really. Never a place I'd ever dreamed about owning a house. Not in a million years. Arturo's office was downtown in a little two-story building above a dentist's office, next door to a pharmacy and a little sandwich shop, and a row of little businesses. No secretary or other lawyers, just him in a suit that looked like he'd been wearing it for years, but never bothered to have it fitted. I'd guess he was in his mid-fifties, balding, glasses, stomach hanging over his belt a bit, big grin under his mustache. Nice guy, but no one I'd want representing me if I was on trial for murder or something. He couldn't wait for me to open the letter and see my reaction. After a few basic pleasantries, after I showed him my ID, we got right into it, and I started reading it. Not aloud. Looking back, I probably should have done that, though. It would have saved me a bunch of trouble. Carlos, I'm sure you were very surprised to be reading this. You must think your uncle has become deranged in his old age. Not in the slightest. I know I never knew you well, but I'm confident you were the right man for this job. A very simple job. Just one that had to wait until I had passed. All I need you to do is to call the police and report that the remains of the previous owner of the home you are getting is still locked in the home's basement. I did not murder that man, if that's what you are thinking. Let me explain. Many years ago, a friend of mine, Alvaro, the home's previous owner, an elderly man, who was a bit of a recluse like myself, gave the home to me. Alvaro, like myself, as I write this letter, had cancer that was advanced and incurable. He decided to transfer ownership of the home to me, his only friend as far as I know, a few weeks before he died. He wanted to do that while he was still thinking clearly, before he tried something. He'd been wanting to try for many years, but had always been too afraid. Now it was truly now or never. Alvaro was an expert in the occult. There was a library in his home, unless it's been broken into and stolen, still full of hundreds of rare books. Those are yours now too. I would sell them if I were you. Or better yet, burn them. Books like Error's Chains, How Forged and Broken, The Book of Citra Acra, and what he considered the most dangerous book, Grimorium Verum. It was written, as I recall, centuries ago in Egypt. Inside were numerous invocation spells to summon various demons. Alvaro had a lot of strange ideas. He was not a religious man, but he believed there were other dimensions filled with other beings, some good and some bad and some powerful. And he long wished to try and summon a powerful being, a being he believed if someone would prove to him that there is definitely a world beyond this one, a world he hoped to explore after death. So how does all this lead to his body in the basement? He knew that some believed that once summoned, these spirits did not always honor their ritual or boundaries of protection, that they could and would trick you into possession. And once possessed, your body now belonged to them, and there's no telling what they could make you do. So just in case the ritual led to some sort of possession, he wanted me to leave him in his basement to die. His basement had a large, very heavy door, an old heavy lock, and he gave me the key. He asked me to take the key and go home before he began the ritual, which I did. I was only to return the next day after the sun had risen. I did that also. When I returned, if he truly seemed himself, after a few minutes of careful observation, I was to release him. If he seemed off in any way, I was to lock him in and let him die. No priest, no mystics of any kind brought in to save him. He didn't want to risk anyone else getting hurt over his foolish experiment. He reasoned he was going to die soon anyway. 
so there would be no reason for an exorcism. As macabre as all this sounds, he even left himself a rope fashioned into a noose and a chair to give himself a release from spiritual torment if it came to that. I stopped reading. What madness was this? Arturo, who had been watching me intently the entire time, his smile having faded from his face based on my change in expression, now asked, Well, what does it say? I almost blurted out, We need to call the police. But something stopped me. I wanted to finish the letter. Alone. A family secret, I told him, which was true. I don't want to add shame to my uncle's memory or embarrass anyone in my family. I'm afraid I'll have to keep my uncle's last words private. Arturo let out a loud, disappointed sigh. Leaned back in his chair, mumbled something under his breath. He tried his best to hide his enormous disappointment, but did not succeed. After a moment, it was now all business. He was irritated. Okay, my friend, just sign here and I will hand you the paperwork. I scanned the document. Everything looked to be on the up and up. I signed. He handed me the deed and some papers. Good luck to you, he said. Hope you get a nice price for it. He quickly wrote down the number of a realtor friend of his, said goodbye, and I left him frustrated in his office. I finished reading the letter in my car. I don't know if it came to that or not. I didn't stay in the basement long when I returned. Before I even entered Alvaro's house, immediately, something felt very wrong. Without thinking, I reached for a cross necklace I hadn't worn for years and muttered, Protect me, Father. The air felt sick. It reminded me of the way my grandmother's house felt when she came down with the bad fever that killed her after being sick for days in her home. The house reeked of death. I felt my stomach sink as I walked through the house. I was scared. The whole house felt alive. Every shadow felt like it might suddenly start moving about on its own, or something horrid might emerge from some dark corner at any moment. I paused once I stood in front of the door to the basement. I pressed my ear against it. I thought I heard a multitude of voices whispering, but it was so faint I couldn't be sure. Other than that, the basement was eerily silent. I worried that Alvaro was dead. I loudly called out for my friend. Alvaro, are you okay? Can I come down? After a slight pause, a pause just barely too long for someone who had been unable to leave the basement all night, I heard my friend's voice. Javier, yes, it's all over. Then I heard him laugh, a familiar laugh that led to me letting my guard down a little bit. Then in a disappointed voice, he added, Actually, it is, it is not over because it never started. I'm just an old fool, acting like a child, a child who has stupidly trapped himself in the basement after playing a silly game, I'm afraid. No silly game, I yelled back, feeling relieved. You are just exceptionally curious, which is what I've always loved about you. You needed to know. I'm sorry it wasn't what you hoped for. I said as I unlocked the door and started to head down the stairs. Please do not think that this means there are no other worlds, no life after death. It was just an experiment. Perhaps the ritual was no ritual at all. Perhaps you missed a step. And then I froze. Alvaro sat inside a large pentagram. It looked like it was drawn in blood. Inside the circle was parchment with strange writing on it, a quill he used to write it, a little altar, two small tree branches, a small dagger with blood, on the blade, what looked like the fresh carcass of a young goat, some kind of metallic incense burner, and the book, Grimorium Verum, was open in front of him. My friend had a bloody palm where it seemed he had cut himself. He was wearing nothing but shorts, and an amulet of some kind hung around his neck. It was a shocking sight. Javier! Alvaro exclaimed. You looked at me like I imagined you might. He laughed. Maybe I truly am crazy. He laughed again. He laughed the way he always had as he had smiled, but now his smile didn't quite reach his eyes. I froze halfway down the stairs. Something in his eyes flickered just for the slightest moment. They looked different. Like he left for half a second, and then something else was there, and then he was back. I remembered my instructions. 
observe him for a few minutes. Maybe the scene had just rattled me. It's okay, Javier. I see how you look at me. You have nothing to worry about. I'm still me. But his eyes flickered again. Now I took a step back up the stairs. Do I not seem exactly as I always have? He smiled when he asked the question, but again, it didn't quite reach his eyes. I told him I wasn't sure. Fine, he said. You are right. We should be safe. We locked eyes when he said that. And then I felt hypnotized. I started to walk towards him as he sat and smiled. I started to take the key out of my pocket to give to him as I approached the circle he had made on the floor, but then I saw a shadow move in my peripheral vision. The small distraction snapped me out of my trance. I took a few quick steps back, and he lunged for me. I turned and ran back up the steps. Bam! The door above me slammed shut. I could hear him right behind me on the stairs. He roared like an animal, his eyes black, his mouth pulled back to reveal a smile full of what looked more like fangs than teeth. He reached for me and I kicked my leg out and caught him square in the chest. He fell back down the stairs, hitting his head hard on the basement floor. A trickle of blood began to stream out from where his head lay. I was certain I had killed him. Almost certain. Instead of checking on him, I instead turned to open the door. The handle was jammed and would not budge. I pulled and twisted and then soon heard a growl from below. Alvaro was rising to his feet, his eyes still black, his face inhuman. It was the most scared I've ever been in my entire life. I muttered, please protect me, father, and I jerked on the doorknob. Thankfully, now it turned and opened as I heard his footsteps race up the stairs behind me. I made it through the door, slammed and locked it as his body crashed against it from the other side. Javier, do not leave me here to die! Javier! I backed away from the old, heavy door, worried he would still smash it down. I kept hearing his muffled screams. Javier, you murder me! Do not leave me here to die! I almost felt hypnotized again. I heard strange whisperings all around me, shadows flitting about. I ran for the porch. I couldn't get out of that house fast enough and I never returned. I locked the front door, made it to my car, and drove away. And now that house has sat unused, as far as I know, for the last... 33 years. Carlos, you must think I'm crazy. It is a crazy story, to be sure. But I had to tell it, and now you have to call the police if you haven't already. Do not enter the home yourself. I've enclosed two keys in the envelope, one for the front door, one for the basement. Give them to the police. Do not enter that house. Let them clear out Alvaro's remains first. Even after that, I still would not enter it. Let whoever buys the home clean it out or better tear it down. I would have dealt with all of this myself years ago had I not been afraid of spending my years in prison for a murder I did not commit. I guess Alvaro did find a world beyond this one. I hope most of it is not full of whatever I encountered. Good luck, and thank you, Javier Romero. I sat in my car in stunned silence. I didn't know what to think, other than clearly my uncle had gone crazy in his final years, and also that maybe decades earlier he had murdered his friend. Did he make all that stuff up about the occult to convince himself that he had to kill that guy? Or were there even the remains of anyone in the basement? Could all of this just be the ramblings of a demented old man? I decided there was no reason to call the police. The one thing I knew for sure was that the house was mine. I had the deed. I'd met with the proper attorney. Did I really want to involve the police? I'd heard from my family for years there was so much corruption inside the police in Sonora, especially near the border. No. I needed to go check the house out myself. It was probably fine. Then I could call the realtor, maybe meet with him before leaving to head back to Phoenix, and hopefully be a few hundred thousand dollars richer in the coming weeks. The house looked like no one had been in it in over three decades, other than some squatters, maybe. Almost all the paint had peeled off. Some of the windows were broken. 
One side of the house was tagged in gang graffiti. Yeah, there was no saving it. I walked up to the front door and turned the handle to see if it was locked, and it was, for a moment. I tried to turn the doorknob. It wouldn't budge in either direction. I reached in my pocket for the key. Before I even pulled the key back out, though, the door swung steadily inward in an almost inviting way, as if to say, come on in. I convinced myself the door must have been broken, probably busted in by kids sneaking in to get drunk or smoke weed or something. But then when I walked in the house, it didn't look like anyone had been in in ages. Using my phone's flashlight and some daylight coming in through the windows, you could see a very thick layer of dust covering everything. And there were no footsteps in the dust, no sign of anything having been disturbed. I was shocked that in three decades, no one had raided the place to, I don't know, steal silverware, old books, nothing it seemed. The further I walked into the home, the more I wondered if people had been too scared to come in. I was walking in during the day, and the air felt heavy, so ominous. I couldn't imagine sneaking in this place at night. But maybe I was just spooking myself because of the letter I'd read. I walked past several bookshelves full of old books. My uncle was right. So many occult books, judging by the symbols and strange words on their spines. I wandered around until I'd finally found the door to the basement, and I checked the doorknob. Firmly locked. Before I used my key to unlock it, I thought I heard movement downstairs. My heart began to pound heavily in my chest. I was so nervous. But what could possibly be down there after all these years? Alvaro, that would be impossible. I opened the door, flipped on the light switch. Nothing lit up. I wasn't surprised. The power had been turned off decades ago. I just hoped against hope that somehow I'd have more than the light on my phone to guide me. No luck. Before entering the basement, I reminded myself that, of course, it was going to feel spooky to head down with just my phone. That did not mean there were any ghosts or monsters or anything. When I made it to the bottom, I did find the magic circle my uncle wrote of, just as he described. The open book, the dagger, the two staffs or branches, the altar, even the skeletal remains of what must have been that goat. Whoa. I shuddered when I saw the chair in the noose. He did it. That crazy bastard really tried to carry out some sort of dark ritual. What a strange man. But no human body. I went further into the basement looking behind old boxes, more books, old furniture, a giant mirror. And Wait. I scanned back to the mirror. My heart froze. Behind me in my reflection, there was a dark shape of a man. I spun around. Nothing. God, I wanted to leave. I just needed to check a little more out before I left. I was so curious. Would I find a body? Nervously, I shined my light towards the mirror again. Of course, there was no one behind me. There never was. Soon, I was checking the deepest and last corner of the basement. That's when I heard a footstep on the stairs. And then another. And another. And it didn't sound like anyone coming down to join me. It sounded like someone heading up, out of the basement. I crept as quietly as I could to get a view of the stairs, shone my light towards the sound I was hearing and had to choke off a scream. A living skeleton with a bit of rotted flesh hanging from some of its bones seemed to be walking up towards the first floor. The skeleton now turned to look at me. A strange amulet hung from a necklace it wore and then it began to move towards me back down the stairs slowly at first as I stood paralyzed and then it started to run. I ran in a wide circle around the basement floor screaming bloody murder. The light from my phone bouncing wildly creating so many shadows. The thing was chasing me. I circled back towards the stairs began to run up them when it grabbed my leg and I fell forward. I turned around and started kicking and screaming with all my might. I landed a hard kick against his skull and sent the body falling to the bottom, just like my uncle had done, I guess. And then I ran up and slammed the door and locked it. 
As I sped out of the house, I heard that thing begin to pound on the basement door. I threw up when I made it out onto the porch. What had I just experienced? I'd like to say that now I burned the house to the ground, but I was too afraid. Isn't that illegal? Wouldn't it look suspicious for me to burn the house down the same day I'd come to claim it and then for a skeleton to be found in the basement? Could I be arrested for murder? I got in my car and drove back home to Phoenix. After crossing the border, I called the realtor, told her that I wanted to sell the property immediately. I said the house was very unsafe, that it should be demolished. She said whoever bought it would probably agree, but who knows? Some people loved the project. I told her this project was dangerous, that it felt like there was something wrong with the house. It felt haunted. I almost said there was something in the basement, but would that incriminate me? To have known a body was down there and not called the police? So I said nothing else. And a few months later, the house sold. I heard the new owners did not tear the house down. They were planning to fix the place up and live there. I wanted to ask but didn't and only wondered, did they find what I found in the basement? Or did I somehow hallucinate it all after getting my uncle's letter in my head? It sure felt so real, but was it possible? For my conscience and my sanity, I told myself it never happened. But in quiet moments, when I lay in bed at night, I know that's not the truth. I've never experienced anything like that before or since. I did not lose my mind. My uncle's letter was right. Alvaro connected with something, and Uncle Javier was right to leave him locked in the basement. As was I, over 30 years later. Are his remains somehow still alive? Should I have said something? Does that monster now live with whoever is in the house? What has it done to them? What horrors have they experienced? What does that thing want? I'll probably never know. Sometimes I think about taking a trip down there to talk to the new owners. But I don't. Because a part of me knows that if I did, I would no longer be able to convince myself that they're okay. That I didn't doom them by not telling them. I'm also worried that if I returned, that thing would find me again. And this time, maybe I wouldn't escape. I knew it was going to be down there. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> as soon as he said he was going down there, I was like, nope, 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 nope. Mm-hmm. Well, that would be so scary to be exploring anything and to be down in a basement a downstairs uh-huh. and to hear the sound of the steps going out right like as opposed to like maybe somebody else has broken in and is like coming down and is exploring yeah. as well like something trying to sneak out right something in a room that's been locked for decades <sighs> and just the sights like even if you didn't see anything Seeing all that stuff laid out in that way. Oh, I, I wouldn't have made it more than five steps. I'd been like, and I'm going to get the fuck out of here. I, I did write down a big GTFO. It was so hard not to scream that. <laughs> you could have screamed it. You could have screamed <sighs> it. Let them fly. Let them fly. People love to get the fuck out. Oh my God. It was just like, you idiot. What are you mm. doing? Yeah. The, the uh, basement. Also, just like on a practical level, if you fall down and get hurt, no one knows you're there. So it's just like take all the oh, like yeah. occult and the scary yeah. and everything out. An old house that hasn't been in, that, that no one's been in. You don't know right. like are the stairs rotted? Is there an infestation of like termites or something? I mean like anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You true, really could true. fall down and hurt yourself and no one's coming to get you. Yeah. I I found it um, interesting in this story about the, um, at the end of somebody's life. I, I have so many thoughts on that. Being like trying something like, well. I, I wanted to try it. I was too scared, whatever. I was worried, but if I'm going to try it, now's the time. Um, but, but then does that mean that you could possibly spend your eternal life in a literal fucking hell? Who knows? That's the risk. The risk is that it works and it's real and now you like are screwed. Like you do have a soul, you find out, but now your soul is corrupted somehow or yikes. Yeah, or you're just um, like permanently possessed. Like if like, you, don't like know you the die. Rules, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, damn yourself for some weird afterlife with this thing controlling you. But I would, okay, I do think, Mm -hmm. maybe I've been watching too much Yellow Jackets, but (laughs) I do think I would consider holding some sort of seance or fucking around with a Ouija board. Like at the end? Yeah, at the end of my life, because I feel like, for whatever reason, I've Mm -hmm. decided in this moment, I might not feel like this in other moments, but... Those feel a little bit more controllable. Like I'm not, I'm just testing it out. I'm not actually mm. trying to like, uh, okay, you know, like that mirror ritual thing, that mirror game where you stand in the middle and you surround yourself with mirrors or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, like that feels too far, but a Ouija board. What if it backfired horribly though? And I'm just I thinking know. of this now where, you know, you feel kind of ambivalent about death. Like you're, you're worried maybe that there's nothing, but then also you wouldn't know once right. you were dead that there was nothing. And I mean, it, probably it, it, nothing. it'd be great to have, re- I think there's probably something maybe. I, 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 there'd be great to have some kind of like reassurance, but then you play this thing, like let's say the weeks be, you know, your final weeks yeah. and you see something fucking horrific. I know. Some and then being, you die in yeah, fear. And, yeah. Now you're just terrified that that thing is waiting for you the last few weeks of your life. No, You could I add know. so much stress. Okay. Would, fear. Okay. So you wouldn't do it? I don't know. I don't know because the, the reward, I mean, I wouldn't do this. I wouldn't yeah, do that this, this thing, like trying to summon something like, uh, from like, I don't know, some occult book necessarily. It's like- That's why I think Ouija board is maybe like the least. Yeah. Okay. Maybe I would get really into tarot or, you know, like really mm. studying it and trying to understand it and getting- Or maybe just go to a place notoriously haunted. Go to a bunch of notoriously haunted places and maybe try to find confirmation that way. Want to just see a ghost. But also it could attach to you and you could bring it home with you and then- Because sometimes people go places and then they're never the same. Right, but if you just have a few weeks, I don't, but then again, it's same risk. Like, what if you go to one of those places and you see something beyond terrifying, and then that's what you're thinking of your final days? Oh, man, I know. I know. Now I'm thinking of Yellow Jackets. I don't want to ruin it for people, but I won't, even, I won't even say what character. But there's just a scene. I won't even say where the circumstances are, where somebody sees something, um, and it is so scary. So scary. Yep. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's such a tricky thing because. I am fascinated by it and I am curious about it, but I don't know if I am curious enough and or brave or brazen enough to actually dip my toe in that water. Right. Because like, okay, if you do it now, the risk is that you have to spend the rest of your life ultimately being terrified. Right. Of of what is over there. But okay, let's take the other. So I guess there's less risk at the end that way. Okay. But how about the other piece of it? We're like, why? It doesn't always have to be bad, right? It doesn't always have mm-hmm. to be scary. So, what if you do like, okay, I've got it. You know, you're going to die. Like, mm-hmm. like you are terminally ill. You're towards the end, and you're like, you know what? I'm. I have to know for my yeah. own peace of yeah. mind. I would get every uh, spiritual person, you know, a, like a shaman, a priest, a, yeah. a Reiki master, every everything. I would get yeah. all these people together in agreement that we're all going to do this. They're get, and then I want to be properly cleansed. Like I want to yeah. be properly protected, properly cleansed. Someone, someone's multiple people who are experts in their field. Mm-hmm. And then I think that's the best calculated risk. <laughs> yeah, okay. That doesn't mean it's still going to be sure, sure. good or okay, but I don't know. I might spend the, like the last three weeks of my life in a church, which I never thought would be the end of my life. But yeah, all right. I have a few pictures. Uh, this first one is a picture of the cover of an older edition of Grimorium Verum. Um, here is the synopsis: 
Grimorium Verum is one of the most notorious handbooks of black magic, one of the few that deals openly with spirits of darkness. People have long sought the aid of non-physical beings. The biblical King Solomon in particular had a reputation since ancient times for commanding demons. There are so many texts purporting to reveal Solomon's methods, but most are extremely complicated and difficult. Grimorium Verum is one of the easier texts, but also one of the most sinister. It includes a catalog of specific demons and how to draw upon their powers. See, like, why would why is that the book that you would use at the end of your life? Get something else. Get something a little less I, scary. I, I mean, he was into some, I mean, he had a huge library of this stuff. So who knows exactly what he wanted to bring up. I, I mean, I just think he was so fascinating. I, I mean, yeah. I think in a way it's very brave what he did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, here's a centuries-old illustration accompanying one of the uh, one of these type of summoning rituals. Oh yeah, that's like a little magic inside a protection circle with a staff and a book. And then and that doesn't look scary at all. <laughs> no, but it's just interesting that the people have been trying these things for centuries. You yeah. Know? And then finally, just one more old illustration of some old occult summoning ritual. In your story, did you somehow talk about Egypt? Yeah, this book okay. was supposedly written there. I was like, man, why is Egypt popping into my head right now? I couldn't place it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know yeah. how sometimes when you're super focused, you like miss things? I was like, wait a second. <laughs> yeah. Do I know somebody who brought back a book from Egypt? <laughs> uh, uh, you ready to move on from that story? Yeah, I'm still feeling undecided about whether or not I would do this. Mm-hmm. Mm, interesting. Oh, also, I think that we should yeah. have wills drawn up with really uber-specific instructions for our kids. Oh, yeah, yeah. Take that part of the story. Oh, yeah. Like, take it real far, real creepy. And then oh, at man. the end, like, just kidding. <laughs> That'd be pretty funny. <laughs> they would the final be, joke. They would, they, would, they would be so annoyed, and then they would love it. They would, yeah. Oh, okay. Let's get that going. So let's head further south to the Republic of Trinidad and Tobago. Yes. But first, uh, we will explore, uh, before, excuse me, we explore the abandoned site of a former leper colony, we will need to take a quick in-between story sponsor break. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know that feeling when you suddenly realize you have an hour-sized hole in your schedule and you get so excited to fill it with something you love? Maybe it's an hour to get to the gym, go on a hike, cook yourself a special meal, or simply read a good book. Most of us wish we had more time for the things we love. If your time was unlimited, what would you do with it? One way to make space in your busy life for the things that are special to you is to identify those things and then prioritize them. Therapy is an excellent way to sift through your obligations and to sort out the things that you need to do and weigh them against what you want to do. Once you do that, a therapist can help you find ways to make more time for the things you enjoy doing. Dan, you and I know all about trying to find balance between obligations and hobbies. Mm -hmm. I mean, really, we spent so many years with our heads down trying to grow our business that we lost sight of the things we enjoy doing outside of work. Mm -hmm. This year, I've been working with my therapist to reevaluate what brings me joy and how to find more time to do it. I love to read, to cook, to work out, to show up for my friends, and to serve my community. I lost all of that in our hustle and grind. By working with my therapist, I have found small pockets of time in my schedule that I could not see before. Turns out I do have a few hours every week that I can work out. Can I do everything I want? Of course not. But I no longer feel like I can't do anything at all. And I no longer feel paralyzed by the weight of my life. It's a process for sure, but one I could not work through without therapy. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com scared to death today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash scared to death. 
VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people. Thanks for listening to our sponsor deals, Creeps and Peepers. So I'll share a bit of history on this one before anything paranormal. This is a, a smaller tale. A small Shaka Shakari. Shakira. <laughs> Shakira. Small Shaka Shakari Island, less than one and a half square miles big, is located within the Republic of Trinidad and Tobago. Shaka Shakari is one of the Bocas Islands that lie between Trinidad and Venezuela. Christopher Columbus was one of the first Europeans to see the island in August of 1498 on his third voyage to the Americas. Columbus named Shaka Shakari Island the Port of Cats because he heard the roars and strange cries of howler monkeys and mistakenly believed they were wild cats. And those things do make some crazy sounds if you Uh look up videos. Uh, The island is still full of all kinds of strange sounds at night today. Over the centuries, Shaka Shakari Island has served as home to a cotton plantation, whaling station, and most infamously, a leper colony. In 1922, patients from another nearby leper colony were moved to Shaka Shakari Island, and they would stay there until they died. They were not allowed to have any visitors and forbidden to leave. When they did die, they were even buried on the island. The nuns who ran the colony enforced strict law and order. Women were kept at Sanders Bay. Men were housed at Cocoa Bay. For many years, it was forbidden for them to interact with one another. Two of the nuns taking care of the sick contracted leprosy themselves and also died on the island. Another ended her own life, Sister Mary Luigi. In the 1940s, the nuns began to relax the rules for the leper colony and allowed men and women to mix, but only until 6 p.m., But then this led, sadly, to children being born on the island who were taken from their parents who would never see them again due to their disease. The colony was finally abandoned in 1984 thanks to improved modern treatments for leprosy. Men and women no longer had to isolate themselves from the rest of society, and there was no longer a need for Shaka Shakari to serve as a permanent home for those with this disease. Most of the world didn't even know about Shaka Shakari until 1993 when Sister Marie-Therese Rateau, a member of the French Dominican Order, uh, found one of the leper colony nuns' diaries and translated the entries into a book about the colony titled Call to Serve. Today, Shakashakari is mostly uninhabited. A few staff maintain a lighthouse year-round. There's a Hindu temple that is occasionally used for religious activities and campers and boaters flock to the island for some day trips. And every once in a while, a few brave souls stay or try to stay overnight. Time now for the tale of the ghosts of Shakashakari Island. The island, like when Columbus first sailed near it, still sounds terrifying. Today, it is less populated with howler monkeys and instead overrun with noisy vultures. Traveler Josh Liu wrote in a blog post, Their flapping wings sound like devilish laughter. Even their young hiss like a pit of snakes. At night, the sights are scarier than the sounds. With so much death and suffering over such a long period of time, Approximately 2,000 patients and 10 nuns lived and died in the island's leper colony. Ghost spottings are common. The spirit witnessed most frequently is the ghost of a woman wearing red lipstick who wanders around the cemetery, never interacting with anyone who might see her. Is she perhaps one of the patients searching for her grave, now covered by heavy plant growth? Or is she the love of someone once condemned to die on the island, looking for her former flame? 
Boaters have also reported seeing spirits roaming in the patient cemetery, barely visible figures wandering through the overgrown graves. A few have reportedly seen a man wearing a watch in the abandoned doctor's house. Some, stup- some superstitious fishermen actually refused to set foot on the island at all to avoid these spirits. Allegedly, in the 1990s, members of Trinidad's Coast Guard moved into the abandoned buildings and used them as barracks and offices and then fled the island within six months because it was so haunted. Numerous soldiers said they saw apparitions around the island. Some reported feeling like someone was holding them down while they slept. Others claimed to have felt invisible hands push them on the stairs. They believe those hands belonged to the spirit of Sister Mary Luigi, the nun who died of suicide. In 2011, a priest told some producers on the show Ghost Hunters International about Sister Mary. The story goes that she fell in love with a sailor, but because of her vows, she could not be with him. She was found dead in the water one day, thought to have drowned herself. People who claim to have seen her spirit report her wearing all white and carrying a lantern. When she does appear in physical form, it is usually in the nun cemetery. Some brave campers who spent the night on the island have also reported being woken up to a figure of a man standing above them. But as soon as the man realizes they are awake, he vanishes. Most people who have stayed overnight seem to have felt at least a heaviness lingering in the air. Perhaps it's just the sight of all the creepy abandoned buildings, or maybe the paranormal claims are real. The island does seem to provide the type of environment where spirits are thought to thrive. Dark, quiet, relatively undisturbed. If the island is not haunted by spirits, it is most certainly haunted by the memories of the pain and suffering of the roughly 2,000 patients that lived and died alone there, isolated from their friends and families. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you know what it was before this? Mm, there was a leper colony. Well, I'd never even heard of it. Yeah, I'd never even heard of the island either. Really like small, pretty unknown island. Um, we have some pictures. Okay. Uh, this first one is the best aerial photo I could find of the island. Uh, that lake looking body of water in the middle is a large salt pond on the island. Wow, it's so pretty. Uh-huh. Dang, yeah, I can't little believe- boat on the beach. I can't believe somebody hasn't, well, who owns that island? Like, uh, I think islands the government- Islands are so tricky. Uh, I think the government owns the island. I uh, think, I think. I'm surprised it hasn't been uh, developed into some luxury resort island. Yeah, well, especially because that, that big salt pond there um, is uh, created by a sandbar that traps seawater from the bay. Uh, the salt pond, one of the best attractions of the island, warm, relaxing, thought to be uh, by some to be very therapeutic. Yep. It has three to four times the uh, salinity of the surrounding seawater. Uh-huh. So you can like float it's easily. Like mm-hmm, and it's kind yeah. of, you know, medicinal, I guess that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So not only does it a cool island, but it has that little weird feature. Somebody could start a really good cult on that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and this is uh, some of the abandoned leper colony buildings or building this next picture right there on the beach in a little old pier. I mean, at least they sent them somewhere pretty to die. Like, I don't fucking know. know. Leprosy is so awful. Mm-hmm, it really is. A really Thank brutal God death. Treatable now. Uh, this next one, more ruins. The building in the front there, as we look at it, was the nun's convent. Okay, okay. And then this next picture is part of the old nun cemetery. I couldn't find a picture of the patient cemetery. They're so sad. That's a sad cemetery. Mm-hmm. This next one inside one of the old abandoned buildings. I mean, I can just imagine how that would feel at night. Mm-hmm. And then finally, this is an old picture of two of the nuns and some of their patients, uh, many of whom were children. Man. And you can't really tell uh, this far away as we sit, but like the, the young woman standing up, you know, mm-hmm. like she's missing her nose. You know, it's like it's severely disfigured her. Yeah. What a brave thing for those nuns. I mean, I know you, yeah. the way it is, is essentially you're assigned where you're assigned, but, mm-hmm. you know, to... 
to commit your life to this work and then be assigned that and still go. Right. Because like, I'm sure there were plenty of people that were like, ah, never mind. I don't love God that much. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, it'd be a freaky like you assignment. Like defect, you know? Well, and, and, and just even outside of, you know, dealing with leprosy, you know, up close and personal, just being that isolated mm-hmm. from the world. I mean, you know, there's, there's, there was nobody else there. Like when they had the leprosy colony there for the overwhelming majority of that time, yeah. it doesn't sound like, and, well, there wasn't. Actually, no, for the entire time. I'm sorry, I was thinking of the military thing that came later in the 90s. But for that entire time, that was the only group of people on the island. Yeah. And the island is just like a, to me, it's like sad island. Mm-hmm. A, a leprosy island, like an island used for whaling, which, you know, is a very brutal thing to do to animals. Yeah. I mean, I get it, you know, like the eating the whales it. and all that. But yeah, just having to harpoon like, them. Yeah, like a, just a different, I mean, I don't, anyways, let's yeah. not. <laughs> not get PETA involved. Uh, but yeah, just like, but sad, mm-hmm. you know, like a a lot of death and struggle because I mean, it's not like every time a whale, it doesn't always go smoothly. Yeah. You yeah. know, like, so I'm sure there's a lot of death in that way. And then it was a plantation as well. Right. That's right. fucking sad. Yeah. So just like this sad, sad island, just I, a sad place full I, of a lot of death. Yeah. I did read once that whales like to be harpooned. You did? Mm-hmm. They enjoy it. Oh, mm-hmm. the more they want, the more harpoons, the better. Oh, it's okay. like uh, acupuncture for them. <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> I can hear Tyler giggling. <laughs> no, I mean, just like, dang. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then I just, I don't, this is a medical question, oh. but I, I'm assuming that if you are two people with leprosy and you have a child, the child's born with leprosy. Yes. It's like, I don't just think necessarily, is that? I don't think necessarily, uh, but I'm not sure. I, I wrote a little bit down just for, uh, you know, leprosy. Uh, it's a bacterial infection, mm-hmm. but actually um, pretty hard to catch. Even like, you know, ancient times, it takes like, it take a lot of exposure. They don't know why. Like, um, it seems like most people's immune systems can kind of fight it off mm-hmm. most of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, mainly affects the skin, eyes, nose, peripheral nerves. Can now be cured with six to 12 months of multi-drug therapy. Jesus. I know. It's still a lot of like, you know, long r- road to recovery. Well, yeah. And can, also like who, okay. It's so, not advancing while you're going through that therapy though as well. Okay. But also like, where do we still see leprosy? Third world countries. And do they have access to medical care? Sometimes no. Exactly. So sometimes, it, yeah, it sadly is still affecting me. Uh, spread thought to occur through cough. Or contact with fluid from the nose of a person infected. From the specifically the nose, like mucus, I guess, uh-huh, and stuff. Uh-huh, mm-hmm. uh-huh. Mucus and mouth. Mm-hmm. Untreated leprosy can lead to tissue loss, most commonly the cartilage of the nose and appendages, appendages like fingers and toes. It's actually uh, not fatal on its own and relatively painless because it destroys the nerves in the parts of your body where it's eroding the tissue. Yeah. So you don't actually feel that the pain of that. Um, so, I mean, like, not like, to be callous, but it's looks worse than it is kind of thing. Pain-wise, I mean, pain-wise. Exactly. Yep. Like mentally, I'm sure it just oh oof, my God. destroys you. Yeah, yeah. Mostly like nose and uh, your toes and fingers kind of go down to like little nubs. nubs. Mm-hmm. Does it affect uh, one race more than another? Like, do they find like, you know, how like some diseases, so. no, it's like, I was just wondering like when they were saying like, it doesn't spread that, you know, like different yeah. ways and like, they don't understand why some people's immunity can fight it off. Oh yeah. Like, I wonder if there's like just, built in immunity in some mm-hmm. parts of the world. I don't think so. I don't think so. I, w- I will not be studying that because having been raised Catholic, we studied a lot of leprosy and I know what those photos look like. And immediately yeah. I just feel nauseous. Yeah. Because yeah. it's Oof, gnarly, it's gnarly. Wow. No thanks. Nope, nope. 
nope, nope, nope. But also, how long do we think something happens on that island? <laughs> I just feel like the Marriott is going to see that. And oh, be like, right. Can we eventually. buy that from you, Ritz Carlton? Yeah, somebody will make the right offer. I know. But, but with such a deep history, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe it could just be like a cool haunted attraction. Yeah, people do. St- I think they do like little tours and stuff. They're like, you can get like little guided tours set out there. I, I, I think it's very close. I don't have the information in front of me, but I think it's very close to the Venezuelan coast. Mm-hmm. Like you could take a little boat from the coast of Venezuela and pop right over there. Okay. Yeah. You could do that without me. Okay. I'm not really exploring. that interested. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I would go during the day and I would float in the salt pond. Yeah, there you go. And then I'm out. Mm-hmm. Sun's going down. We can't be there. <laughs> ah, great stories. Great stories. Good, good. Yeah, I really like that first story. Yeah, something something different. Sorry, I got uh, mumbled, mushed up a few of the little spots, but none of the scary stuff, I don't think. No, I, I didn't think it was mushy. Okay, good. Okay. Who's your Layla this week? Uh, I'll get the traditional one from the back here so I don't Ugh. mess up our arrangement. I know. She's I, hiding out here. I love the Layla army. It makes me so very happy. <laughs> when, we, when we were discussing like uh, end of life and if we would explore that, I'm like, I could probably just show up with a Layla army as like my circle of protection. <laughs> so I was thinking like me, Layla army, and then a secondary circle of proper yeah. Rituals. That site wouldn't be nearly as scary. Walk it, it'd be pretty adorable just right. to walk into the basement and like see this. You know, even if it was like a, like pentagram shape, which I mean, I'm not actually worried about uh, pentagrams. There's a different history with it and stuff. I, mean, I would tattoo a pentagram on my body. Like, yeah, I'm not yeah, it's, about it. yeah. I know some people it means something one one thing. Other people it means something else. But I mean, still, just because of the way I was raised, spooks me with like candles and all of that. Yeah, like, sure. Right stuff. But if it was Layla's, I'd be like, oh, that's cute. What about Layla's in the shape of a pentagram? I don't even know how that would work. Well, you would just lay them out. Oh, that's what I was saying. Like if you saw oh, that. Oh, 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 I thought you meant one Layla somehow shaped like that. I'm like, that wouldn't really be a Layla anymore. <laughs> no, I thought you were suggesting like a penta- like a, a circle of Laylas and yeah. then beyond that, a pentagram, oh, like yeah. two separate. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I hope you guys are watching Yellow Jackets. If anybody's looking for a that's great, good. like spooky, good show, it's mm-hmm. really awesome. We just finished season one. So, so far, so good. But I would say... Hedge your bets against like younger kids. Go slow. Mm, yeah, it's scarier than I thought it would be. Yeah, it's more psychologically scary, mm-hmm. I think. All right. Are you ready for my story? I am. All right. Ghosts in the graveyard. Hello, Lindsay. Hello. Just kidding. Hello, Lindsay and the awesome crew of Bad Magic and Dan. I like, I like that you were last. That's fine. I love your show and I hope I can contribute back by sharing a story of my own. I grew up in a very rural area, miles away from any other kids anywhere close to my age. So when I found about when I found out about Boy Scouts, I begged my mom to let me join. She reluctantly did, and I was hooked. I fell in love with camping and all things outdoors. I was a goal-oriented to I was goal-oriented to achieve the rank of Eagle Scout, and at the age of 16, I had achieved my goal. Having accomplished my task at hand, I set out on my next leg of adventures in life. Getting a job, getting my driver's license, getting a car, and a girlfriend. (laughs) As a somewhat socially awkward kid with a good work ethic and a strong urge to help out in my community, some of these tasks were easier to accomplish than others. I passed my driver's test with very little studying. I was hired at the first job I applied for, and I quickly saved up enough money for my first truck. After working as a certified nurse's aide at the local nursing home for about a year, my charge nurse told me I should meet her daughter. I agreed, and the meeting was set up. 
I was introduced I was introduced to Becky about a week or so later. Becky was a shy girl, two years younger than me, tall, lanky, with thick glasses, curly hair, and was kind of a klutz. We hit it off quickly. Even though I had gotten out of scouts to go to work, my love for the outdoors was still there. I was planning camping trips for me and my close friends. After Becky and I started dating, I was surprised when her mom agreed to let Becky go camping with me and my friends. This was a trip I had planned, and there was there was no adult supervision uh, in the woods miles away from any roads or phones. Yeah, this was the early 2000s, and nobody in our area had a cell phone. And if you did, it only worked when you were in a bigger city than ours. As the trip got closer, my friends started to back out, one at a time, until it was just down to me and Becky. Then, a few days before the trip, Becky told me there had been an error made on her work schedule, and she would have to work the first part of the day, Friday, and first the first day of our trip. Not wanting to lose out on the trip entirely, I told her it was fine. I came up with a plan for her to go to work, and I would go and set up the camp alone, then pick her up when she got off work and take her to camp. She didn't hesitate and said yes. Having spent several weekends camping and having done projects at the park, I knew some of the ranger trails and could cut down my walking distance to about a mile and a half to shelter number two instead of eight miles on the regular trails. I spent the better part of the day carrying in all of the camping supplies for both me and Becky. After about three trips, packing everything in like a mule, I started to set up camp. The tent went up quickly, sleeping bags rolled out, flashlights placed in the tent, food prepped to be cooked, Fire rings straightened up while with a few extra rocks to replace the ones that had fallen away over time, and firewood gathered. All of this was done by 2 p.m. Becky was getting off work at 4. I left camp, grabbed a quick bite to eat for a late lunch, and then went to pick up Becky. Shortly after pulling up to her work, Becky started towards my truck. I thought it was odd because I was a good 30 minutes early. And that is when Becky told me that two girls called into work and now she had to stay until 7 p.m., Becky then handed me her small backpack of clothes and said we could go right after she got off work and that she would cook supper tonight. At 7 p.m., I picked up Becky and we went straight to the park. The rangers had all left for the evening and there wasn't another vehicle in the parking area. In fact, we didn't see another vehicle anywhere at the park. The sky was a dark mix of blue and purple as it was now late dusk as we left the truck and headed onto the trail. I quickly realized that all my camping gear was at camp including the flashlights. I hit the trail at a good pace, trying to get as far as I could before it got dark, truly dark. Becky quickly called out to me for walking so fast and pointed Mm. that she had been on her feet all day at work. Catching her point, I slowed the pace. The start of the trail cuts along a small creek, then through two large fields, so we had plenty of light from the clear sky for this portion of our trip. As we left the first field and started into the second, I could see the darkness up ahead. In the second field, there was a small cemetery that separates this field and the trail. The path I usually take takes me past and around the cemetery. Seeing the darkness ahead, I thought we could cut off about 200 yards off of our hike if we took a shortcut through the cemetery. Without asking Becky, I steered us towards the cemetery as if this was the way I always came. The cemetery is very old and some of the grave markers are nothing more than rocks placed at the top of the grave. There are some proper stones as well, but even those stones are very weathered and barely legible anymore. The cemetery starts just at the edge of the canopy, so so there is still some light that's able to peek through. However, the further into the cemetery we moved, 
the thicker the canopy overhead became and the less light came through until we were in total darkness. As we passed through the cemetery, I thought it was strange how quiet the night was. This was early spring, and usually at this time of year, you could barely hear yourself think due to the sound of the crickets and bullfrogs singing in the night. But the night was quiet. Was it too quiet? Had it always been this quiet? Was it quiet the whole time and I'm just realizing it now? Becky hung on to me as tightly as she could as we walked. It felt as if she thought I would run off a little way to scare her if I let go. That was my sense of humor, but it felt good having her hold on to me, and I could tell she was already afraid of the situation we had found ourselves in, but all we had to do was make it to camp. We, we will light a fire, eat supper, and we wouldn't think about the darkness anymore. Near the back of the cemetery, we heard a noise. I was happy to hear anything at this point. The quietness of the woods had made me almost feel as if I had gone deaf, but now I was assured that I could in fact hear. But what did I hear? And now Becky asked, what was that? I told her it could have been anything, a deer, rabbit, raccoon, possum, squirrel, armadillo, really anything, leaving out coyotes for obvious reasons. Even though I tried to play it off as if it were nothing but a normal sound in the woods at night, I couldn't help but think of how much it sounded like human footsteps. I tried to dismiss, I tried to dismiss that idea because who else would be on these trails at night without a flashlight? Trying not to alarm Becky, I started scanning the area around us more frequently, just in case. As we got to the far side of the cemetery, we were going to have to go off-roading, so to speak. There was no clear path on this side of the cemetery that connects to the trail, but I knew it was only about 15 or 20 feet through the woods. As we started to blaze our own path to the trail, we heard the sound again. Footsteps. This time I was sure it was footsteps. They sounded closer this time. A quick series of steps then silence. As we heard the steps, I quickly turned my head in the direction of the noise, and all I saw was a dark cemetery with slightly darker silhouettes of gravestones, trees, and three small children. What? Mm -hmm. Wait. I stopped dead in my tracks and continued to stare into the darkness for what felt like several minutes, but it could have only been five or six seconds. My mind was racing. What are three small kids in this area of the park doing at night without flashlights? We are at least a half a mile from the next nearest camping area. Why are they standing so still and not making any noises, as if they think we can't see them? I decided to push on. Shortly after turning away from the kids, we made it onto the trail and then heard their footsteps again, moving towards us quickly. We turned to look their way, and they stopped, just like before. They didn't run for cover or duck behind a tree. They just froze. It felt as if we have now become involved in a game of red light, green light, whether we wanted to play or not. Wanting to call out to them for them to go away, but not wanting to spook Becky, who was trying to read my thoughts by setting my face from just inches away, I decided we should just continue down the trail. The kids did give me a creepy feeling, but I wasn't really scared by their presence. We'd walked for about a minute, and Becky had just mustered up the courage to ask me who those kids were, where were their parents, and why were they following us. And then we heard them again. We turned their way, and they froze, again, without saying a word or making a sound. And in fact, the only sound we did hear was the kids' footsteps. No giggles, no whispers. Again, real creepy. I've played hide-and-seek with my friends in these same woods in the dark before. I could see that they were getting closer to us, but in the dark, I still couldn't make out any features other than their silhouettes. I thought that at this distance, I would at least be able to see a slightly lighter hue in their clothing or something. But nope, there was no variation to their color. They appeared to be solid black. In fact, they were the blackest thing I've ever seen. 
We continued walking down the trail, playing this unwanted game. After walking for what seemed like a mile already, I started to think it was weird that we hadn't made it to our turnoff yet. I'd already walked this trail three times today. And yeah, it was daylight then, but I was loaded down with camping gear, so I wasn't moving fast in the daylight either. Had I missed our turn? The woods seemed so unfamiliar now. How embarrassing is this going to be if I have to tell Becky I've missed the turn and we've been walking in the wrong direction for who knows how long? Are we going to have to walk towards the kids to get to our trail? But then I thought, no, I've been watching the trail. I know this park. We just have to go a little bit further and our trail will be ahead on the left at the top of this next hill. Boy, was I relieved when we made it to the little brown sign in the shape of an arrow that indicated shelter number two was on the trail to the left. Now, I knew these kids would leave us alone because there's only one campsite down this portion of the trail and it was ours. Shelter number two was just a half a mile away. We turned onto our trail and slightly picked up the pace. Just knowing that we were so close to camp seemed to calm both me and Becky. I took a quick look behind us, and to my relief, I did not see the kids on the trail. We were done with those games. This portion of the trail was slightly narrower than the rest of the trail and not well marked. I pulled out my Bic lighter from my pocket and lit it every few steps just to check the trail. The lighter gave off just enough light for us to see a few feet around us. Then we would move. It would go out, and our night vision was reduced drastically, making the already dark night that much darker. The light went off while we were taking our two to three steps when we heard the steps again. I say steps because it sounded so different now. It sounded like some large animal or beast falling its feet to the ground from a high tree branch, landing with a loud, solid thud. First on our right, then on our left, then behind us, and every time we heard the thud, I would light the lighter to look around us. But nothing. No animals, no falling limbs, no dark children, literally nothing. Now we felt a wave of dread wash over us. Even though we were together, we somehow felt completely alone. I stood there holding the lit lighter until it felt like it was going to explode in my hand. We were frozen in place. I know, Lindsay, I should get the fuck out, but the only direction we didn't hear the thud was in front of us. We had to make it to camp. That was our only option. The small flame of the lighter finally got my thumb to a temperature that was so unbearable, it snapped me into action. I began down the trail at a run, holding onto Becky's hand, dragging her behind me. We could hear all the thuds around us. It was completely different than before when the kids had been following us. Now, whatever was on the trail with us felt ominous, and I was scared, and so was Becky. I could feel her hand shaking in mine. As we approached a sharp right turn to the path, I could see something almost as black as the kids had been growing largely directly in front of us. I stopped, lit the lighter, turned to Becky and asked her, do you trust me? She said yes. And with that, she looked at me with a very puzzled look. I, I turned away from Becky, let the lighter go out and took off again. We left the trail and went towards the dark void that I knew was a sinkhole, almost using the darkness of the sinkhole as our own personal North Star. As we passed the sinkhole on our right, I had thoughts of large, shadowy hands reaching up and pulling us into the ground or some other place where light didn't exist. But we made it. We continued like this for about a hundred yards in total darkness, no longer stopping to light the lighter, the sound of thuds falling all around us. It felt like the thuds were shaking the ground. And then I saw it. Just ahead through the trees, a large gray square. It was the shelter. Shelter number two sits atop a large hill in a small clearing that overlooks the Tennessee River. The moonlight had illuminated the shelter and the clearing around it well enough for us to see it at a distance. Once we made it to the clearing, the thuds came to a stop. I quickly went into the tent, grabbed our two flashlights, handed one to Becky, and then made quick work of lighting the fire. 
everything's better when you have a fire. The fire almost feels like a guard dog while you're in the woods. Animals usually won't approach it. We sat at the picnic table, flashlights in hand, and watched the fire for several minutes without saying a single word, neither of us wanting to shine our lights towards the wooded area that surrounded us. Next to the warmth of the fire, we gathered our wits. I cooked our supper for the night, and we ate quickly and quietly, laughing at ourselves for the night's events. I tried to play it off as if I wasn't scared, but had been putting on to mess with Becky. She believed it, or she let herself believe it to make herself feel better. We cleaned up for supper and then retreated into the tent for the night. Yes, there is a shelter, but it was quite a, quite a primitive shelter with a wire mesh screen across the entire front, a door on either side held shut by a spring and no locking mechanism, and eight beds built into the structure in the form of bunk beds. The shelter is also a great place to go looking for any kind of spider that can be found in Tennessee, so I thought the tent was our best option. Becky woke me up a few times in the night to say she'd heard something big moving around outside the tent. I had heard it a few times too, but I told her it was just her imagination to go back to sleep. I could tell through the tent that the fire was fading. Becky wanted me to look outside, but there was no way I was leaving the sanctuary of my sleeping bag or the tent to face whatever was out there. We got up the next morning and our camp was a mess. My cooler was knocked over. Water bottles were scattered across camp. The food I had hung 15 feet up in a tree was ripped open and looked as if it had been stomped into the ground, but nothing was eaten. What kind of animal would do that? A few of the stones from the fire ring had been kicked over and the picnic table had been pushed away from the fire pit. We cleaned up the mess, broke down the camp, and then started down the trail to leave the park. It had been planned for us to stay both Friday and Saturday, but neither of us made a remark about leaving early. It was unspoken, a mutual plan to get the fuck out. As we walked the trail back to the truck, we took no shortcuts and passed by the cemetery quite quickly. We loaded the truck and left the park without further incident. We've been back to the park several times since this incident. I've taken our children on several camping trips to the park, but we've never set foot back in that cemetery or walked the trails at night without a flashlight ever again. I keep flashlights in the glove box of every vehicle we own. Becky and I have been married for nearly 20 years now. <laughs> we have four children and still live in Perry County with a friendly ghost named George. But that's a story for another time. Until then, keep on sucking, Charlie. Thanks, Charlie. Yeah. Um, one thing early in the story that I found funny is I forgot about that era of cell phone use when, yes, some people had cell phones, but the uh, coverage area was much smaller than it is now. Oh, yeah, it was terrible. Yeah, it's like now there's towers everywhere. But for a long time, it's like that reminded me of like, that's why there was all those commercials. It's like with the nation's best coverage. And like yep. that emphasis has started to fade. The like, Verizon guy. Yeah, the Verizon guy. Can you hear me now? Can, yep. Yep, all that stuff. And now it's like, yeah, they're, they're all kind of, they all pretty much work almost everywhere. That's right. And then satellite will be the next, but it's like, I was like, oh yeah, but for, uh, not that that really came up much in this story uh, towards the end when they were out there. Yeah. But I'm like, oh yeah, like it just was different where your access to be able to call if things go wrong and you didn't have like, they had the lighter because mm -hmm. we're just so used. To, I, I never even think of a flashlight because every phone Every smartphone has a light built into it, right? But not then. Not like then. the early flip phones and stuff. A lot of those didn't have anything that could be used as a as a flashlight or anything. That oh yeah, just that whole like, if you didn't remember to bring a, a flashlight, you actually had to use a match or a lighter or just nothing. Yep. And then that and then just that long walk to the tent. I was actually thinking when they were, when he was seeing the uh, before uh, all the weird stuff at the end that is like that was like the the noises, but not necessarily any shape attached. It was just something, something was around them. But before that, the, 
the children shapes. Um, <sighs> we did not like that. Yeah, it reminded me a little bit of the Watchers, but I mean, but, but oh, they were, yeah. but they were moving. But then also, I thought of like, man, if I was out somewhere, let's say just you and I. Uh, I'm already scared. Yeah, like walking to some campsite. We didn't realize we got such a late start. It was going to be really dark for most of the walk. And then you get way out there, away from civilization. You don't have either a cell phone or coverage. And then you see figures. I would almost rather they be spirits than people if they were quiet. Oh, okay, that's true. That is more terrifying where you're out there and there's these dark shapes of other people that aren't saying anything to you. That is really creepy, actually. Oh my God, just way out in the woods. Like they, they don't have any lights. Yeah. Like what are they doing out there? Why are they being so quiet? I would immediately assume they're up to no good. They do not have our best interests in mind. I think maybe he felt like somewhat emboldened that they were small shapes. Yeah, like he's got 10 kids. Yeah, like child size. True, true. Uh-huh. That, would, that would be less scary. Less scary. Yeah. I would just say that I'm such a baby that I wouldn't even let us walk down a trail. Like if I yeah, was yeah, like yeah. looking at it and I'm like- It's gonna be dark. Sorry, babe, not doing it. Not tonight. You'd be annoyed. You'd be frustrated. You'd be like, Come on, it'll be fine. And I would be doing a lot of digging in my heels and saying, absolutely fucking not. It would result in some sort of fight of like, fine, you want to fucking go? Go ahead. I'm going. I'm staying in the car. Like, I can see us going toe to toe on it. Yeah, going to the campsite, especially a remote campsite at night where you can't drive in. Because, like, we've packed up campsites at night where you have the. Sure, have. (laughs) Yeah, we're just like, enough. Like, it's raining or whatever. (laughs) And then you have the headlights, but like places where you drive in to set up your camp. Yeah. But to hike way in. Man, that would, uh, that's a, and especially to hike in at night to get there at night. And I know it was already set up, but but still. still, Yeah, there's no fire going and and knowing that there's no one else around. Yeah, I wouldn't like that. No, no, no. I have no interest. Uh, And and I like, you know, played a ton in the woods growing up. During the day, the woods don't bother me. I don't worry about wild animals and things like that. Like some people will or Mm -hmm. rattlesnakes or bears or whatever. (sighs) Wolf. But at night, like wandering around. full yellow jackets in my brain right now. Yeah. Oh man, you guys got to watch it. So I know, good. I know. First season's so good. Yeah. So good. Uh, I know when you were talking about options on the cell phone, I thought like, and also you wouldn't have a map, right? Where mm. to make sure that you were on the right trail. Oh and yeah. You don't have the GPS like reassurance. And you also don't have all trails, which is an awesome hiking app that will oh, lay out yeah. any trail in any area. I mean, if it's already been plotted, but like. Just the thought that you could get lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Or yep. if you fell down and hurt, like broke a leg. I, know, I did think it was really brave of Charlie to run past that sinkhole to really know where he was and have a, such a sure Yeah, to understand the boundaries. Sense. Yeah, yeah. Because what a weird thing. Like, okay, you see those creepy shadows. That's mm-hmm. creepy enough. And then they disappear and you're just mm-hmm. hearing these heavy thuds. I would- Oh my God. That actually, I think, is scarier to like me than this. Like sh- or something? Yep. Not that there's where, where that part of the really country- don't really like taunt you, but maybe. Because that was Midwest, right? What was the state again? Tennessee. Tennessee. That's right. Yeah, Tennessee River. Uh there are black bears. I don't think there are any bears bigger than black bears there. I That's could, still I could be terrifying. Wrong. Yeah, brown bears have like reclaimed some parts of the country, but I don't think Tennessee. Yeah, still. Uh, mountain lion, maybe. I don't think there's many there, but maybe some. I mean, but yeah, not that they make a big thud. They're really stealthy. Right, right. But, but, still, but just whatever. We'll your just, brain would yeah. be going a million miles. I mean, just like right here on Tubbs Hill, they recently saw some big cats that they were like, oh, mm-hmm. careful with... Taking your dogs out there, have spray, make sure you're really loud. I'm like, that's all right. I can skip that for right now. They scare me more than bears. Uh, uh, because like, big uh, cats? yeah, because they will actually uh, stalk you. They, yeah. they they will try to hunt you. Where, yeah, they think it's fun. Yeah, like a bear. I mean, I guess there's been some cases where uh, 
maybe, maybe there's been some cases of bears getting a taste for human flesh, but usually it's like you've startled them. Like you've walked in, you know, unintentionally between them and their cubs or yes, something that's like that. The scariest, yeah. they're, they're not like sneaking around behind you on the trail, waiting for the opportunity to get you. Do you remember that time like that we were in Yellowstone roll. and you were about this yeah, far yeah. away from- Black bear. It was a black bear, luckily. Fucking care was a giant bear. I know. It, it sounds I turned like, my back in the wrong area. It, it sounds all like, oh, just a black bear. That thing was fucking huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. huge. We were camping in Yellowstone and like all idiot people in Yellowstone, you're like driving so slow. Yeah, you're looking for stuff. You see it and we saw a bunch of people pulled over and I think like we hadn't seen bears yet. Yeah. So it was such a weird scenario where we were driving and then we pull over. There's lots of people pulled over. Kyler Monroe and I stayed in the truck. You had oh, yeah. you were driving, so you popped out and you're like at the bed of our truck looking this way, mm-hmm. taking pictures of bears, and you turned around <laughs> to get back in the car and you were like face to face with a bear. Like no, I wasn't it was, that it was, close. Yes, was, you were. It was right there. Was that like if you were at the door, it was at the fucking bed of our truck. It was right there. Yeah, I crossed the road behind me. I was looking at the bears and I way. was losing my mind and I was trying. <laughs> it took all of my strength. Okay, yeah. maybe not face to face, but you were. It was, it was pretty close. You were this close. Yeah. And I was like, okay, don't scream. The kids saw it. I'm like, you guys just don't. Because I, I didn't. Yeah, you guys saw it before me. And well, so, and I don't know bear protocol in that situation. I'm like, if I uh, scream, is it going to startle the bear? Yeah. I don't know what to do. And then you just got in the truck and it was like. <gasps> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I was looking, I was taking pictures of the bears down the road. Yeah. And then unbeknownst to me, another bear walked behind me. It walked across the road. So yeah. by the time I turned around, it wasn't as close as when you guys saw it by me. It was still close. It was real close. But, but I had no idea it was like right back there. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. that sucker could have got me. So when you said like got in between like a bear and its cubs, it's like mm-hmm, there are these yeah. situations that are, you're oblivious. You see like four bear, you see like a couple cubs, you see some bigger ones. You're yeah. like, oh, it must be the little family. But then like, I don't know, maybe they were a menage a trois. Like <laughs> this other bear came out of nowhere. It was so scary. <laughs> Good story. Yeah, I loved it. Mm-hmm. I love like the like actually little like happy ending. I know. And Becky Four kids. Married. Yes. Yeah. It made me so happy. I was so scared because I was totally yellow jackets in my brain. I was thinking so many things. I was super freaked out working <laughs> on it because uh, I was working in our home office. So I was mm-hmm. like downstairs, yeah. a little bit dark down there, really into it. And then I was like, oh, what a nice little mm-hmm. button at the end. Yeah. Yep. That's adorable. So congratulations on yep. your four kids. Like and things are going good. You got a friendly ghost. Yep, I know. We'd, we'd like to hear about George. And uh, congratulations on 20 years of marriage. Mm-hmm. That's no joke. That's cool. Good job. I'm glad you still like each other. <laughs> Who do you want to do shout outs first? You can go first. Okay. I would like to thank the following Annabelles for supporting us on Patreon. Eli Graham, Kyle Lunghofer, Katrina Button. That's the cutest name. <laughs> yeah, Katrina Button. Uh, Victoria Rotman, uh, Andre... Ortiz or Andres? Andres. Uh, yeah, Andres. I, I, get, I always forget on when there's the S there. It's not Andre. Maybe it is Andre, but just with the S. Or Andres. But, uh, or on, not Andreas. I don't know. You could say, you could just try it all the ways and, and then Andres, be covers. Andre, uh, E, Ortiz. Listen, uh, and, listen Andy. <laughs> Andy, Andy Ortiz. Uh, was there a, oh, never mind. I was thinking of a UFC guy. Uh, Rebecca Sears. The Happy Hippie. I love you, whoever you are. Tammy A. Provost. Milo Mejia. <laughs> Mandy's Nuts. Woo, buddy. <laughs> Mandy's that's, Nuts. That's a, that feels like a 1990s throwback. Mm-hmm. I'd like to thank the following Annabelles for supporting us on Patreon. Christina Wise. Bruh Mom. I love that. So, mm-hmm, which, mm-hmm. boy mom. Nancy Panko. Kissing Cryptids. Samantha Blackwell. 
Jessica Amel. I feel, Jessica, I feel like when I typed up your name, I wonder, is it Jessica? I put I-M-E-L. I wonder if I'm meant to put M-E-I-L. Listen, Jessica, I'm sorry. (laughs) Heather Shield, Leanne Puffenberger. I want Leanne Puffenberger and Kyle Longhoffer to get together because I want her to be Leanne Puffenberger hyphen Longhoffer. Oh, yeah, that's quite a name. Oh, that'd be so great. Chandler Christensen and Amanda Buss or Boos. I'm not sure. Ready for some spooby shout I am. Okay. To Jordan from Samantha. I'm so proud of you. I love you and I miss you. Uh, If I remember correctly, Jordan is Samantha's brother. And what I know for sure is that Jordan is currently deployed in Kuwait. So thank you for your service, my friend. To Tanner from your lovey-dovey wife, Amber, and the kids. We appreciate you so much and we hope you have the best day. To Nicole from Caitlin. Happy 30th birthday. Oh, this one's pretty funny. To Jax from Jax. Happy 40th birthday. Let's make this milestone better than the last one. Jax sent an email that said, hey, in case my husband forgot or didn't think of it, yeah. I want a 40th birthday shout out. And uh, I was like, Jax, I have bad news. Your <laughs> husband did not do it. <laughs> okay. And then we have a very special spoopy shout out. Okay. We have three really special kids out there listening. Elizabeth, Ashton, and Emmelyn. Uh, also know, I think they call her... Evelyn sometimes. Evelyn. Yeah. <laughs> Just to tease her. Mm-hmm. Uh, your mom and dad wanted you to know that they have a big surprise for you guys. Hold on to your horses. You guys are headed to Disneyland. That's a cool way to find out. I know. Have fun. We've been working on it. And I, the mom was like, listen, can we do it? Uh, We're going to be I'm like, can we decide on a date? I'll make sure yeah. the kids are listening. We listen to it in the car together. I want to say maybe they're driving there. So maybe oh, fun. The, maybe you're going to get to hear it on the way, but have the best time. Yeah. And, uh, you know. Enjoy those rides. Enjoy, eat a lot of. Eat a lot of terrible food. Yeah, like elephant ears. And I love funnel cake. Find some Dippin' Dots. Mm-hmm. Like the Mickey Mouse popsicles. Monroe loves those. Have some Dole Whip. That's Dan's favorite. Mm-hmm, Dole Whip. And they, have, they actually have some decent, uh, uh, like, like heartier food. Uh, I only at, care uh, about the sugar Disneyland. stuff. I have a problem. When I, when I just really quick before I go into the credits, uh, when I saw that like D's nuts, I do think it's funny how amongst like uh, teens now, yeah, your mom and D's nuts jokes have come back around. Like oh Ky- yeah, like Kyler Monroe have, do- and then Chad Daniels was talking about his daughter Olivia does D's oh, nuts yeah. jokes a lot. <laughs> um, just like you know, yeah, when re- she, she, I think he told a story like, like she at thought restaurants. She thought that she like that oh, her came her, up with it. Yeah, that her and her friends, and he was like, "Oh, babe, <laughs> it's been around a while." Got to talk about this. Kyler was into the your mom for like a year. Oh my God. He shows me memes all the time, you know, which I love. We we trade memes back and forth, and uh, so many like your mom memes, you know, oh, like that. God. Like the one that popped in my head off of the D's nuts was uh, somebody talking about like um, at a job interview, and when the person <laughs> said, "Where do you see your, what do you see yourself doing in ten years?" It took everything they had not to say your mom. <laughs> 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 that feels like uh, this is going to be a throwback. That feels yeah. like something like Joe Paisley would have done in an interview with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah, like yeah. like mm-hmm. a really yep, silly, goofy, goofy guy, yep, yep, and just yep. like testing the boundary, but knowing you could get away from it. I could see that in a heartbeat. <laughs> totally. Ah. Uh, that is our show. Thanks for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scared to death podcast.com. You can email us for everything else. Info at scared to death podcast.com. Thanks to Logan Keith, Tyler C for the work on social media and to Logan again for running badmagicmerch.com. Thanks to Tyler C for producing and directing today. Zach Cohen for custom soundbed creation. Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails. And to our book editor, Drew Atana, for polishing and preparing listeners' stories for book number four. Thank you to producer Olivia Lee for finding the second story I told this week. I found the first. 
Subscribe to Bad Magic Productions on YouTube if you want to watch this show. And you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram if you want pictures that accompany episodes and more at Scared to Death Podcast, which is also our TikTok handle if you want to see show highlights. Come on, make us TikTok famous. And if you don't want to hear ads, if you want monthly bonus episodes, check out our Patreon and get the entire catalog ad-free and more. Enjoy your nightmares, creeps, and peepers. Hope you were scared to death. Bye. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through but have no home here within scared to death. Magic Productions. Hold on to your horses. You guys are headed to Disneyland. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. (laughs) 